0: I don't know how many of you uh, like to walk or ride bikes or do that awful exercise called running. Um, I, I uh, might, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but no, seriously, I don't like to run. Um, my sister in law has on the back of her car a sticker that says 0. 0.0, I don't run. I'm like, I love that sticker. I really do. Uh, walking, biking, I'm okay with that. Running, I just can't do that. There's even a verse that says something about running aimlessly. But anyway, um, so I, I used, I'm not going to run, but I, I would like to walk. I like to bike ride. And inevitably, on the path that, that there's, sometimes on the path that we take, there's always that house that has that loud, really large barking dog. Do, do y'all know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's in your neighborhood, maybe you don't walk, maybe you don't ride your bike, maybe you don't run, but you know that there's, there's this house, maybe it's a few doors down, whatever. Huge dog, and all you can do is pray every time you go by it that the dog is on the leash or it's in the house and it's not outside. I remember at this time where we were, we were going past this home, and you could hear the dog barking in the distance, and so we knew, oh man, um, I sure hope that thing is, is whatever. Uh, and we got to the house and out of the corner of my eye, we're walking past the house, and out of the corner of my eye, and I don't know what it is about dogs in this, but I guess maybe, maybe they're somewhat smart. They, this dog comes running behind us, and he's, he is full on running, growling, barking, doing the you know slobbering at the mouth thing, and, and all I can do is, I don't know what it is with me and animals, but all I can do is, I don't run, I just turn and look and freeze. Does anybody else do that? Or like, are you the kind who just like run away? Um, Or you put up fisticuffs and you're gonna beat the dog or whatever, I don't know. But I turn and freeze and the dog is, is full on coming at me and he jumps and I turn and I duck and then all of a sudden I hear this thud and the wrestling of chains. And I'm thinking, what was that? And I turn and the dog has gone full on head into a chain link fence. And I'm like, Praise God for that fence. But the thing about that is, is that I was so focused on the dog, and I'm scared for my life, I'm frozen in fear, I can't do anything, I'm so focused on that dog, I did not even see the fence. Didn't even see the fence. Didn't even realize that fence was there, and if I had realized that fence was there, I could have... Walked away just fine. I could have breathed a little easier. I I could have let the fear sort of dissipate. But no, I was so focused on the problem that I completely missed the solution. And I don't know about you, but in our lives, at least I know in my life, when I'm faced with hardship, trouble, trial, struggle, an enemy, whatever it is, I so easily fix my focus on that that I completely lose sight of what it is that God can and will do in my life and wants to do in my life. And and, and it's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to get fixed on the problem, on whatever it is that we start to let fear build up, we start to let worry build up fill us up, we start to let anxiety fill us up, we start to let discouragement, or whatever it is, and we focus on the problem rather than the solution, and it's no different with the people of God in Exodus chapter 14, and so if you would, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14, we've been, we've been talking about God leading the people of God to the Red Sea and, and implications of that and what we can learn from that. And there's some memory verses that I asked you guys to memorize. Psalm 46:1 is one of those. This is what God desires to show us in the midst of trouble, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, God is showing up. God is wanting us to understand that he is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. That's what God wants to show us. He's a refuge and a strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And then Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 27, Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And then last week we looked at John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world, Jesus is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, what seems impossible with man is possible with God. God. I said this a couple weeks ago, and I re-say it again, this, God has carried you this far, he is not about to drop you now. God has carried you this far, he is not about to drop you now. He is an ever-present help in trouble. He is the God of possibilities. He is the one who has overcome the world. And if he is for us, who can be against us? The people of God have been following God to this point. They have been freed out of Egypt. God has led them to the Red Sea. He's been working in and behind the scenes, even back in Egypt. In verse 4 of Exodus 14, we see that he's working in the heart of Pharaoh. He wants to reveal himself to the Egyptian people and show them that he is Lord. He wants to be glorified in all of the things that are going on, not only in Pharaoh's life, but in the Egyptians' lives, but also in the people of God, the Israelites, and he is working and orchestrating all things together for good, even though we may not be able to see it in the moment, even though we may not be able to feel it in the moment. God is working together. All these things were good. And we even see him working in the heart of the people of God's enemy to bring about the glory of God, to bring about the knowledge that he is Lord. And as we said before, either you're going to, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of whatever it is that's going on in your life, you're either going to follow God or you are going to fight God. And so far, the people of God have been following him. That's about to change. That's about to change. And the reason it changes is because circumstances are about to change. So look at verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? (laughs) They just come to the realization that they've just let all their servants go. And they're like, what did we do? Verse 6, so he, that's Pharaoh, made ready his chariot, took his army with him, and took six hundred Chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them as they were encamped by the sea. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So here it goes from following God to fighting God. Fighting God. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I don't know about you, but can you, I know I can identify with that. Maybe, maybe not in the, in the exact circumstances of that. I've never been lost in a wilderness or, or being chased by an Egyptian army. But, but I know that there's been times in my life where trouble was coming, where things were happening, where stuff that God allowed in my life that I'm going, God, why? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why are you allowing this to happen to my family? Why are we going through this? Do you not care? What's the problem? I thought you are a God of love. Why would you allow something like this in my life? And, and like the people here, they're like, it would have been better for us to continue serving in Egypt than for us to die out here. And it's almost like immediately they have forgotten the power of God. They're so focused on Pharaoh and his army, which again, rightfully so. They knew the power of Pharaoh. They knew the power of Pharaoh's army. They they saw the the evil of Pharaoh. They saw how Pharaoh would treat individuals. They they know the power of Pharaoh. And they're fixed on, on him and on his army, and they lose sight of God. They lose sight of what God has done for them. They lose sight of the fact that God had been leading them with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire and his presence was with them and he was leading them every step of the way. And not only that, but even the power that he demonstrated while in Egypt. It's like all of a sudden that's gone. And I get it, I understand that because there's times in my life where the problem comes and I end up focusing on that Fixing my eyes on that, that it seems like all the good that God has done in my life, all the blessings that he's poured out in my life, all of a sudden those become, they, they really take a back seat. And I start to freak out, and I start to, like them, fear and worry, stress, and all of this other stuff starts to bubble up toward the top. And I end up letting the what-ifs and the could-bes and the mights I let them begin to ruin and reign in my heart and it it has a negative effect on me. I don't know if you can identify with that or not, but that's where I'm at in my life and I can identify with these people. And while I'd like to be really hard on them, I can't be because I see myself in them. And I realize, you know what? There's times where I'm like that. And, and, and I get so focused on the enemy. I get so focused on the problem that I take my eyes off the Lord. And that's rule number three. Rule number three is acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. The people do that. Verse 10, they acknowledge Pharaoh. They acknowledge the strength of Pharaoh. They acknowledge the reality that they feel they are going to die by the hand of Pharaoh and his army. They acknowledge that. The problem is, is that they stay focused on that. They don't keep their eyes on the Lord. They focus on the problem. They focus on the enemy. They focus on the trial so much so the they lose sight of God. And, and again, we need to acknowledge our enemy. We need to acknowledge what our enemy does and how he does it and those kinds of things. And the reality is that you and I, we face an enemy every single day. That enemy is Satan. And his desire is to destroy your life. His desire is to, is to not just get you to not believe in God. His desire is that you would turn completely away from God. You would live your life on your own terms, and you would die separated from God because he hates you. Satan hates you because you are made in the image of God, and it disgusts him. And he hates everything that has to do with God. And so what does Satan do? He comes after us all the time. How does he do that? We need to acknowledge that. Satan, and I'm gonna give you some some passages that are in reference to Satan and to his work. And I'm not gonna read them for you, but I'm gonna give them to you. You write these down. So if you got a pen, write them down or type them in your phone or whatever. You go back and you reread these and you'll find what I'm talking about here. The first one is in Matthew 13, verses 3 and 4, and verse 19. What does Satan do? He actively works, actively works to make the word of God non-effective in our hearts. He actively works to make the word of God non-effective in our hearts. In other words, he does everything he can to make the word of God seem irrelevant. To seem like it's, it has no point, There's, I'm not going to live my life according to it. it, it makes no difference, I'll never understand it, never this, never that. All this negative stuff about the word of God. Why, why would he do that? Because, because it's the word of God, and he hates God. And so if he can get you to stop reading it, if he can get you to stop studying it, if he can get you from even obeying it, then he is winning victory in your life. So number one, he will do whatever he can to make the word of God ineffective in your life. Number number two, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he blinds the intellect of those who do not believe so they cannot understand the gospel. So not only does he work to, uh, against the word of God, but he blinds people in their thinking so that they cannot know, cannot understand the gospel. He does that because he is the God of this age. He is the God of this age who influences ideals, opinions, goals, hopes, views uh, of many, many people, the thoughts, ideas, speculations, false religions of the world are all under his control and have sprung up from his lies and deceptions. I've seen that. When I was over in India and, and and I went to home and we went to home after home after home and around the doorposts and around the, 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 just the doorways of their homes, which is interesting because in, in Deuteronomy 6, it talks about writing these things on the doorposts of our homes and, and making them something that we look to and think about. And this is all in relationship to the one true God. What was interesting is in India, they had these placards all around their doorposts, and they were all pictures of different gods that they worshipped. And what was more interesting was, it was a god of peace, a god of hope, a god of love, a god of, of this, that, and everything else. They had a. They, what they had done is they had taken all the attributes of the one true living God and they made a god out of every single one of those attributes. Tell me that's not Satan deceiving an entire group of people into believing that they needed to worship multiple gods instead of one true God. I'm telling you, that's exactly what he does, is he blinds the intellect of those who would believe to keep them from understanding the gospel. Number three, Matthew 4, verse 3. He tempts people with what looks good, but is actually sin. He is the tempter. He tempts us into sin. And the way he does that is he tempts us with things that are appealing. Things that may look good, feel good, smell good, whatever, are looking, you know, like, ooh, that's pleasant. Think about Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden when he tempted them with the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It looked pleasant to the eye of Eve. Not listen, he is not gonna tempt you with something that completely turns you off. Like, like seriously. He's not gonna do he's going to use something that's appealing to you. And that's the thing, he is an expert strategist, expert at knowing your weaknesses, expert at pushing all the right buttons. Because he's an expert at seeing your life as you live it. And he knows exactly where to push. And so he tempts you with something that looks good. But as the Bible says, it is good for, or seems good for a season. But in the end, it leads to your destruction. He tempts. And then the last one, Revelation 12.10, he accuses Believers. How many of you uh, have something in your past that you wish you could erase? That you did? Come on, raise your hands. Everybody in the first service raise their hands. Let's just be honest, come on. Every single one of us do. Do you know what Satan does? He continually brings that back up. To guilt you, to shame you, To accuse you so that you feel unworthy in the sight of God. Unworthy to be used of God. Ineffective to be used of God. Like somehow your past is what defines who you are today. That's what he does. That's just a few things about our enemy, Satan, that you need to acknowledge but don't get so focused on. Because here's another truth about him. Colossians chapter three or two, sorry, verses thirteen through fifteen. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your heart, of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all our sins, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Check this out. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What's that mean? It means this. Simply, simply means this. Satan, he is defeated. He's defeated, he's a defeated foe. God has defeated him in the past, God is defeating him today and God will defeat him in the future and he is a defeated foe of whom we do not need to let have victory in our lives. He is defeated. We don't need to live as though Satan is not defeated. He is a defeated foe. And too often what we do is we give him way too much credit. Way too much credit. And the reason that is is because we focus so much on the problem rather than the solution. What is the solution? The solution is, yes, acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. The people of God in this moment are not doing that. They're not doing that. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. These are our next memory verses. I want to encourage you to memorize these. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That first part, submit yourself to God. We talked about this last week. Same thing where Jesus is saying, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. That's submitting yourself to God. God. Not my will, yours be done. I wanna glorify you, God, in all that I do and all that I say and everything that I am. I want to glorify you even in what happens to me. I want to bring you glory. That's submitting yourself to God. Resisting the devil, that is standing against. But understand something, you do not have the power in and of yourself to resist the devil, I've heard people say, well, we need to stand and fight against the devil. Well, good luck doing that in your own strength. You do not have the power to overcome the devil in your life by your own strength. You're not, it will not happen. But you have someone in you who does. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is overcome. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus can help you to overcome temptation. Jesus can help you overcome these different things that we just talked about in the reality of acknowledging our enemy. He is the overcomer. He is the one that we need to look to. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Notice what it says as a result of, and this is really how we resist the devil, is verse eight. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So stand against Resist the devil, but draw near, pull near God to yourself. How how are you doing that? What are you doing to draw near to God? See, notice it doesn't say draw near to God and he will save you, even though God can and wants to do that. Notice it doesn't say draw near to God and he will forgive you. He does forgive you. He wants to forgive you. But notice it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What does he want first and foremost in your life? He wants a relationship. He longs to be in relationship with you day in and day out. A love relationship where you're growing in your understanding of him and loving him more and more and more every day. How are you Drawing near to God. Think, think about every relationship you have. And again, I, I'm, I'm not saying are they good, are they bad, whatever. But when you think about a relationship, what do you have to do in order to grow in that relationship? Well, one thing you have to do is spend quality time together. You have to spend quality time and quantity time together. What else do you have to do? When you're in that time together, it is really imperative to talk. It's a good idea to talk. That helps the relationship most of the time. Right? You can't just stare at each other and expect to grow in your relationship. So talk. Not only talk, listen. Oh, some of y'all are like, oh, that's what my husband needs to do more of. Don't be, don't, uh-uh. You need to listen. Yes, talk, but listen. Share with each other. Grow in that relationship together. It's not any different with God. You want to grow in your relationship with God? You got to spend time with God. You want to grow in your relationship with God? You got to listen to what God has to say to you. You, you want to grow in your relationship with God? You got to talk to God. You not only gotta talk to God, but also a big part of relationship is doing for each other. Sacrificing for one another. Being willing to to do something that maybe you don't wanna do, but you know it's necessary to do because you love that person. Same thing with God. He's already done it for you. He gave his son Jesus for you so that you can have life. He laid down his life so that you can have life. What's he want you to do? He wants you to do the same for him. You you want to grow in a relationship with God, draw near to God and what he will draw near to you. Question, what are you doing to draw near to God? It's not a one-time event, y'all. It is not a one-time thing. I don't know about any of y'all, but relationships that, that I have with people don't happen overnight. It's not like, it's not like just, all of a sudden, you know, yes, okay, the love and first sight thing could be a true thing, whatever. But you still gotta develop the relationship. And I don't know, but every relationship that I've ever seen, it takes time and effort and, and intentionality in order for that relationship to grow. Are y'all identifying with any of this? Like it it takes, it takes time, effort, and intentionality. You got to do it. If you if you don't then you're just two people sitting in a room looking at each other. That is not a relationship. That's proximity. And and the same thing is true. If you think that just showing up on a Sunday morning and spending a little time with God in here is all you need for your relationship, I'm telling you, my friend, your relationship is super shallow. Because this is not enough. This is not enough. Jesus wants to be involved, number one, part of your life, every moment of every day. What are you doing to draw near to him? Listen, I asked you earlier to, to ask God to speak to your heart. So what's he saying? What is he telling you? What, what is he laying on your heart that he wants you to do today? What is he laying on your heart that he's, he's wanting you to learn today? And then, would you be willing to ask God to help you to share it with somebody? Don't, don't just listen, but also put it into practice. Go tell somebody about it. If you need to, right now, bust out your phone and, and write somebody an email or a text or whatever and send it to them. Uh, my number's going to be on the wall. If you you, want, you got questions or you want to share it with me or whatever, that's cool. Uh, I would love to be able to do that. Thank you to those of you that, that do that week in, week out. I appreciate that. And, uh, again, as always say, I will try to get back to you as soon as possible. I cannot guarantee that it's going to be, you know, you don't think that I'm ghosting you, okay? Um, some of you are like, what does that mean? Don't worry about it. If you don't know, forget about it. Google it. Um, maybe don't Google it, but whatever. Tell me about it. I'd love to be able to talk with you about it. So what's God speaking to you about today? Who are you going to share it? And uh, and what are you going to do about it? That's I mean, that's the ultimate thing. It's not enough just to hear it. It's another thing to do it. So what are you going to do? I'm going to ask you if you would just close your eyes, bow your head, and think about that thing, that thing that God's teaching you. Maybe Maybe you're here today, and what God's revealing to you is you really don't have a relationship with him. You know about him. I mean, maybe, maybe you've been in church your whole life. Maybe you've only been in it for a little while, whatever. And you thought you had a relationship with him. But the reality is you're going, man, I don't think I know Jesus. Can I just tell you right here, right now, that's the first step. Number one, you need to start a relationship with Jesus. How do I do that? It's really simple, A, B, C, acknowledge that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus is the savior of your sin, that he's the one that died for you and rose again so that you can have life. And then C, confess that. What does confess mean? It means to agree with. So basically what you're doing is you're saying, okay, God, God, I, I agree with you. I'm a sinner in need of Jesus. I'm asking Jesus to begin a relationship with me right here, right now. Do you know him, you say you have a relationship with Christ, what are you doing to draw near to him? And I'm not talking about it just once a week. Every single day, what are you doing to draw near to him? Because here's the deal. You're drawing near to something. I'm just be honest. you're drawing near to something or someone. And, and God's desire is that you would draw near to him. Something, someone is influencing the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act. And I'm telling you right now, God wants to be the one to influence that. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your struggle is, your trial, trouble that you're facing. I I have no idea. But God does. Yes, acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Father, you thank you that you know the hearts of each one of us here. You know the struggles. You know the doubts. You know the fears. The worries. God, you're well acquainted with those. No matter what, you still love us. Now, sin will separate us from you. There's no question of that. Satan will use sin to destroy our life. There's no question about that. So God, would you help us to be willing, if we need to, to confess sin to you? If we need to, to to turn to you? I think the reality is all of us need that. Be willing to confess, be willing to turn to you every day. Yes, acknowledging that we have an enemy But just keeping our eyes fixed on you, God, that it's easy to say, hard to do. Thank you for the promises of your word that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God, I pray for my my friends here. I pray that you would just bless them, that you'd go with them, and that even as we sing this last song, that you would just move in our hearts, move us to action. Thank you for your love, in Jesus' name, amen.